0: and welcome to the Nursing Standard Podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, Editor of Nursing Standard. This episode of the podcast is looking at how nurses can help to make the NHS more inclusive through their communication with patients and their carers. Specifically, we're looking at the experiences of same-sex couples in accessing healthcare for their children. How can healthcare professionals and systems support all people using health services to feel included? Joining my colleague, Senior Nurse Editor Richard Hatchett, to discuss this is Lucy Kelsall-Knight, a lecturer in children's nursing at the University of Birmingham. Lucy has conducted the UK's first research into how people who are LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender, feel when accessing health services for their children. She is joined by Rob House who with his husband is a father to three sons. It's a fascinating discussion on diversity and inclusion with many learning points. So let's take a listen.
1: Family demographics have changed in modern times and it's more common for parents to identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender, LGBT. As an example, in 2020 in England, one in six children were adopted by same-sex couples, according to the Department for Education. But what are the experiences of same-sex couples accessing healthcare services for their children? I'm joined by Dr Lucy Kelsell-Knight, a lecturer in children's nursing at the University of Birmingham, who's completed research in this area, and Rob Atkin House, who, with his husband, is father to three sons. So welcome both. Um, Lucy, can I start by asking, what was the impetus behind your research and how did you set about doing it?
2: Yes, of course. Um, So the reason um the reason behind it came I'm a registered children's nurse and I'm also an adoptive parent of two children um with my wife and I was really aware that anecdotally when we were accessing healthcare for our children as they've been um as they've been growing up that sometimes we weren't always Um, treated as inclusively as I thought we would have been and people were making assumptions about so healthcare professionals were making assumptions about who the parent was and were always asking things such as well who's the father where is the father Um, so this led me to consider that perhaps there was um, some research that could be done into how gay people with children felt when they were accessing healthcare for their children because i knew that there was a lot of research available concerning accessing so lgbt people accessing healthcare but there wasn't the information regarding them accessing healthcare for their children and certainly not in the united kingdom so there is um, international research regarding the experiences of lgbt parents accessing healthcare for their children but not within the uk so i undertook the literature review to determine what information was out there, and then began scoping my own research study for my doctoral qualification from that.
1: Can we explore three aspects that I know are in the research? The attitudes of healthcare professionals, the acknowledgement of sexual orientation, and administrative representation, which I understand means how the dynamic of family is represented in documentation.
2: Yes, thank you, Richard. So within the paper that I wrote for the Journal of Nursing, Children and Young People, it shows that internationally, parents encountered assumptions of heterosexuality and also heterosexist language during the healthcare consultations. Um, And this also highlighted that there was a failure by some healthcare professionals to recognise non-biological parents, for example, um, in the case where Um, if someone had either adopted a child or someone had had IVF and there was another parent, often that the non-biological parents were ignored. Um, And there also appeared to be this lack of acceptance and knowledge about same-sex parenting and this assumption that there needed to be Um, for example, either a father figure or a mother figure, which I think stems from this idea of a sort of the historical understanding of a nuclear family being about a man and a woman rather than what we now know is um, a group of people or a familial unit. So I think it, it stemmed from that. But one of the very early papers, which was Perrin and Culkin in 1996, which is an American paper, found that also some of the children had received these inappropriate diagnoses, which were based upon healthcare professionals' assumptions um, and misconceptions. So, for example, one of them, um, their child was um, not growing at the level that was expected, and the paediatrician Um, diagnosed that this was because the child was confused at having two mothers so now whilst that's an earlier paper from 1996 this these assumptions have carried on um throughout the years since then internationally and then when i undertook my own study um i found that this was still the case we were still finding that um because the society that we live in has this normative of heterosexism it meant that parents were automatically presumed to be heterosexual unless they detailed otherwise and whilst the families in my study were trying to they try to normalize being same-sex parents to their children assumptions were still made by healthcare professionals for example who's the father And this also came down to them being asked questions such as, well, who do you want me to write down as being the father? And the participants said, there isn't a father, so you don't write anyone down. And they said, well, I need to put someone down as the father, so who shall I choose? Um, So this this over sort of assumption and therefore these microaggressive behaviours were coming out. And I think it's really important to note that not everyone... Um, Not all healthcare professionals treat uh, people who who identify as being, for my study, as being lesbian. Not all healthcare professionals made these assumptions and made microaggressive language use. But there certainly, when we consider the NHS constitution and the values of, of the NHS, we need to ensure that whoever we're coming into contact with makes people uh, makes patients service users feel very comfortable in their surroundings and actually give certainty and acceptance to their family dynamic and this certainly wasn't apparent within my study
1: I mean Rob does any of that resonate with you from your experiences with with your children
3: I would say not to be honest we've never experienced any particular questioning or anything that I could really constitutes being a microaggression. However, I mean, I'm coming from a place where as the primary carer to the children, it was always me taking them to medical appointments on my own without my husband. And I don't know whether that put people on notice anyway. It was slightly unusual for a man to be taking the children. But I don't remember any questioning about mother. The, The question we usually got was about family history and our children were adopted. And so obviously you get the question on family history, which is a perfectly normal medical question to ask. And then you kind of have to explain that the children are adopted. So quite frankly, in our case, we don't really know. I think the only situation we had where we felt that there was some judgment was when we first adopted our children and... um, We didn't have the red books for two of them that children get when they're born that note down all their history and birth weights and hitting all their milestones. Because quite frankly, we just weren't given two. Two were totally unavailable and one was covered in stains and ripped. And we had to hand this over. And there was no possibility of reconstituting these books to get new ones. And I always felt slightly uneasy when I was handing this over. Uh, that people are looking at you and thinking, my God, what's this man done? Where are all the books and what's happened to this one? So I think that's the only situation I've ever felt actually uncomfortable about anything.
1: Because it's quite an interesting point, isn't it? And I was I was thinking about this when we were sort of setting up this podcast, because you don't take the whole family to the hospital or to the, to the, the GP practice, mm. etc. I mean, it's a good point, isn't it, Rob? Because sometimes dad or mum, you know, will take the child because the other partner is at work or looking after other children. So there's that um, idea that people may not assume or may they they do, your point is Lucy, they do assume what the dynamic is because you don't bring the whole family in.
2: Yeah um, I think Richard from, from that and Rob I completely hear where you're coming from because when I undertook my study one of the, um, it actually was one of the protected um, strategies that the lesbian parents used in my study was that they purposely only went with one parent because they found that they were enabled to navigate healthcare far easier than if there were two parents there um because when they entered for example you know um triage and a and e or the gp surgery um as there was only one of them there and they said who are you they said i'm mum there was no question there was no other question asked whereas they found when the two parents went together, which in some cases they did, um, particularly if there was, for example, surgical interventions, for example, um, or more long-term sort of chronic conditions. Um, If the two parents went together, that's when they found that there was more questioning. So a protective strategy that they did employ was only one of them attending.
3: Mm. I did ask my husband earlier, actually, whether we had ever gone to anything together, but as we adopted three together, there was always one person ended up looking after two while one went to the doctor or the dentist or whatever. Um, but I could see that that could be an issue. If it, We've been very lucky with our children. None have been to hospital. None have had any long-term sicknesses to deal with. Um, so there's never been an occasion where it would have been usual for us both to go. Um, but I do see how that could be slightly uncomfortable when you explain, oh, who are you, papa? Well, who are you, daddy? And then you usually get a look of recognition on someone's face. Like, oh, penny drops. And then people get it but yes it is a you kind of have to come out every time you do it to somebody you've just met um, but it's something that i suppose you get used to in a way but it could make others more uncomfortable especially at a very stressful time like your child being sick
1: so i mean that picks up on the point of self-disclosure doesn't it because it's something you talked about lucy and your work and it seemed in the article that you wrote this this uh, I, I the concept of disclosing the family dynamic there seemed to be a dichotomy there. There was this idea of um, that it was in the interest of the child to self-disclose and also there was the commitment to the family dynamic, maybe a political statement, but also not disclosing because you didn't want to expose the child to the prejudice that you you feel that might come. So uh, it, it's it's quite a two-edged sword, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, no, it is absolutely. And I think certainly from my study what i found that this disclosure of sexuality it it was an overt strategy that and how the parents sort of managed their level of disclosure or outing as it were during their interactions with healthcare settings it did vary for each individual parent and was often shaped by their previous life experiences but this self-disclosure um they did it as you said you know to protect individuals including their children but also on occasions, they did it to protect the healthcare professionals so that they almost so they have the protection from any assumption being made, and them as a family feeling uncomfortable, but equally as the healthcare professional feeling uncomfortable. Um and, you know, as Rob said, you know, outing yourself on a daily basis. I I do wonder at what point we'll come to where we don't. Where it's just accepted that families are made up in many different ways, and that we don't have to therefore out ourselves and out our sexuality straight away. Now, I I don't have um, any challenges with the fact that I'm I'm gay, but I think if children start to to hear um, all the time, they recognise that we're constantly having to almost defend our family constellation and say straight away, you know, we are two mums or we are two dads. I wonder how over time, how their identity themselves. And I think, you know, as children, does this alter, are are we a different type of family when we've grown up as this is a normal family? So um, I, I find the self-disclosure really interesting. Um, sort of analogy that that that's um so I find it a very so I find self-disclosure a very interesting strategy um that gay parents have to um have have to do because if we go back historically to the times where you know where we came out as it were um it feels like we do it over and over again um but now in a way to protect our children as well but what are we actually protecting children from what are we protecting other people from because if we look at the equality act and we look how progressive this country has been um over the last few years do we really need to protect ourselves but obviously there's something that's telling us either in the institutional attitudes or barriers that we're facing um something is telling us that we do still have to protect ourselves so how we manage that that risk as it were
1: so, it, uh, Rob, I don't know whether you wanted to comment on that and also on the, the second aspect, which is acknowledgement of sexual orientation. Um, just your thoughts generally on all of those aspects that we're discussing.
3: Well, it's a very interesting one, really, because sometimes uh, when we turn to self-disclosure, when I go somewhere, I actually make the point it was always trying to work in my husband and I from the outset, because it does go back to that point of not wanting to make... The professional you're speaking to uncomfortable or have to negotiate their way around actually finding out the questions they want to know the answers to because they need to because it's for your child's health so when I'm feeling brave and I'm up for it I always start with my husband and I but sometimes you think can I be bothered with all this and <laughs> you just try and work your way through it by just not mentioning anybody else but I I did deal with um a lovely consultant in Great Ormond Street for one of mine who had a persistent cough. And, and there are ways of asking things to find out what you want. That so I, I thought she did very well. She um, introduced herself and went through the form and said, Who else lives at home? I mean, that's such an open question. That gets you the answer you want, gives you the comfortable opportunity to give exactly the information that's required at that point. There's no mention of mothers, fathers, or anything else, siblings. Um, it was just, Who else lives at home? And then, obviously, you can write down whatever the person says. And I, I thought that was a very good way of, of going about it. But, uh, I mean, it is a difficult thing because you obviously don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. People are terrified of saying the wrong thing. And we we're all there to get to the same goal, really. So I think there is perhaps a responsibility in both parties to make sure that everyone is comfortable. Um, but it, it does require a lot of the time just coming out on a daily basis again, I'm afraid. I mean, Lucy, did you want
1: to uh, comment on either that or that second um, key theme, which is not adno- acknowledgement of sexual orientation, because it meant something specific in your research?
2: So, Richard, with regards to acknowledgement of sexual orientation, um, as I said earlier, how gay people sort of manage this disclosure, um, this self-disclosure, also known as outing, is going to alter. Dependent upon their previous life experiences, um, and what um, what I found from my own research is that whilst there was a self disclosure as an overt strategy um, and as a way of protecting children, but also um, protecting healthcare professionals as well. Another challenge of acknowledging um, sexual orientation, which is shown in the literature review that was published, but also in my own research, parents who didn't disclose their sexual orientation to healthcare professionals, um, those that, that didn't felt that, they thought if they had disclosed it, then their children would have been viewed differently. Or it would have meant that their children's history would have been opened up far more. So, for example, because my research focused on lesbian parents accessing healthcare for their adopted children in England, some of the parents felt that when they disclosed their sexual orientation, straight away it opened <coughs> up this conversation with healthcare professionals of them saying, Well, who. Who's who's the parent, and then use this terminology such as who is the real parent. So we've now ascribed real, and the permanence of what the word real means, and we've made it suddenly to become an almost destabilising language, um, because if an adoptive parent isn't the real parent in the eyes, for example, of the healthcare professions professionals, then. Who is the real parent? And and I think this was more to do with them constituting real kinship, being a blood relative, as opposed to a parental responsibility. But actually, this was linked with the acknowledgement of sexual orientation because it had an almost snowball effect. That by outing who they were, it led to the conversation of who gave birth or how are you the parent? How does this family dynamic work? Which therefore the parents felt that in some ways they were unable to then protect their child from this uh, almost barrage of questions which again going back is why sometimes they chose to just attend the consultation on their own because they knew that they wouldn't be asked these sometimes um, invasive questions it would just be accepted when they said I am mum that that was the accepted um, discourse as it were.
3: That's really interesting, Lisa. actually. So I often wondered whether it's inbuilt within the the parents who are gay and did adopt, whether there is a feeling that you have to be seen to be doing it really well as a parent, because it is a newish thing and you wonder whether people are judging you. So you feel that you're a kind of ambassador and can't get it wrong, as it were.
2: No, that's really interesting, Rob. Someone said to me um, many years ago now, they said the one thing that you realise is adoptive parents, people think that it's elite parenting. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's far from it. It's <laughs> I, certainly <some> not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I think you're right. I think we have this because when you look at, you know, in the news when it, so when the Adoption and Children Act in 2002 um, was altered to allow people who identified as um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. It allowed them to, this group of people, to adopt from 2005. Straight away, there was a lot in the media about the long-term outcomes of children with same-sex parents. And so I think because of the the stigma almost that's been associated and therefore this taboo subject of, you know, gay people can't be parents... I think you're absolutely right, Rob. We're now in this position where we feel we almost have to go above and beyond and and prove that we're these superhero parents um, that can take on the world. But actually, we're humans and we're parents like everyone else. Um, And we need to be accepted, acknowledged and supported in the same way that that all parents, all people are.
3: I think, um, I mean, there's also... I mean, the attitudes that we've encountered have always been fine with all healthcare professionals, but we do live in London and it, there are more of us. I mean, where we live at the moment, there are several families, all same-sex parents with children. And obviously we all go to the same doctors, the same dentists, and the professionals who meet a lot of them, move to London themselves. I'm um, presuming they did that because they liked the diversity. I, I, I don't know how the situation would be where you somewhere else, where it was more of a novel novelty for the professionals that you were encountering and you might be the only person that they've seen in years that came forward as same-sex parents with children. Uh, was was there any indication that, that it was different depending on where you were?
2: Um, so the participants of the study were all from um, urban to se- semi-urban areas. Um, there wasn't anyone from London but they were from um areas within the rest of England but they weren't from areas whereby there perhaps potentially was very few gay people there there would be um almost um a a community mm.
0: with
2: with within part of the the city or town um but i do think that when we i, I think you're absolutely right in that if you're in a, a more perhaps a densely populated area uh, where there's more diversity, then there's more chance as it were of people coming into contact with, uh, with other, with other gay families. Um, so I think it would be interesting to, to see how it fares in other places. Mm. But I think the other th- part as well is people's own, I think people's own understanding and, and, and how they've been been brought up, if they've been brought up around diverse groups of people,
0: um, yeah. for
2: example, as well, alters. And I don't necessarily mean in, in a positive or negative way. I think it just alters their, um, how they, the lens that they view their, their patient group through. Um, I think, you know, your own background does vary that, um, does alter that as well.
1: Yeah. Lucia, what if you can comment on administrative representation? Because Rob was touching a little bit there on, on, on type of questioning, but how um, the family dynamic appears. I presume you're thinking about paperwork here or is it wider than that?
2: Um, it, it's slightly wider than that. So in order to um, to allow a sense of identity and inclusion, I think a family must be able to see their own constellation reflected before them within society. So within the context of the study, um, of my study, this was considered with regards to wall posters and also the administrative forms which are used um, in institutions such as the NHS. The rhetoric of institutional forms and documents often showcases the attitudes of the establishment or the organisation. And what we do know from previous international research and also my research is that the bureaucratic systems employed within healthcare are inflexible and outdated and so it's really important that when we think about the administration and transforming the bureaucracy surrounding it that it should be implemented to enhance the environment and therefore make it supportive for gay families and in the case of my research um, adoptive families as well so, one of the issues that we found in the forms utilised by healthcare professionals um, is that they don't use gender neutral terminology such as parent or partner. It says mother, father, mum, or dad. So, therefore, this universal heterosexuality is assumed, and the forms are exclusive to heterosexual parented families, and therefore, they're not inclusive of diversity. Um, there's also sort of thinking about my study as well what I found and one of the participants said that when they'd been asked you know who they were on the form they said they were both the parents and the healthcare professional noted them down as adoptive parents and the parents really struggled with this because they felt that because they hadn't just been named as parents they'd been the the prefix of adoptive parents in it this supported an ideation that perhaps adoption wasn't normal and then in addition because neither of them identified as male and therefore they weren't classed as dad one of them on the paperwork was completely ignored as part of the family now this viewpoint is mirrored by previous international research, um, who talk about terminology such as sister or friend being used by healthcare professionals when referring to, so in this case, when referring to lesbian parents and this questioning over the whereabouts of the father, which, and I mean, I think we can flip this into if it was a, a you know, a two dad fa- family as well. And I think if you've got this questioning over the whereabouts of, of a perceived other role such as mum or dad then this can lead to a sense of alienation and then disenfranchisement of the of the parents. So I think what's really important is when we when we look at what the administrative forms say and also how healthcare professionals um, interact with same-sex families and then also wall posters as well we need to i think make sure that healthcare professionals confidently acknowledge parents and if necessary and the sexual orientation of the their patients in their care and this then will avoid any sort of confusion for for children with regards to their family constellation and then it also will prevent any kind of family identity being discredited when they're accessing healthcare services so Overall, we need the forms to to be gender neutral so that it it almost it removes this universal heterosexuality.
1: So that kind of moves on into the the final point about um, how can we improve the experience for both um, parents, children and staff, of course, as well is this about organizational culture the values the beliefs of an organization because it's quite multifactorial isn't it i'm conveying this to both of you really it's not just about training it's about leadership it's about um, correcting forms language it's quite a dynamic shift isn't it really
3: yeah i mean i, I would say so i i, I was racking my brains here to think if i could remember any forms where i felt that there was any space for Mother and father and I couldn't think of any examples other than one where I crossed out mother and just wrote in father again and thought well that's a nice subtle hint for you to change your form. Um, but obviously when we, we go and see anybody and we talk about the children and even a doctor's surgery and they ask any questions I always just start with the, I don't know they're adopted. And that basically generally shuts down any further questions about parents. In, in my experience, uh, all the healthcare professionals we've met have taken the hints and thought, OK, no more questions than that one because it's not going anywhere. And it's an awful experience if someone did write down what about the real parents or you we were any adoptive parents, I could understand how that would be incredibly obsessing. Um, but to my mind, I mean, my, my mother was a nurse in the NHS for years. And the NHS itself is a very diverse organisation, so... I was wondering, it's a question for um, Lucy, really. Is there no way of harnessing that diversity within the NHS to check through all these forms and make sure that everything's inclusive? Uh, are there focus groups, for example, where you could have a look at these things and go, look, is this right? Is this going to make anybody uncomfortable?
2: Yeah, um, Rob, I think, um, and I'm going to go back um, first a minute to when you were saying about how you you crossed out um you know mum and and put dad in um for example and I think that's a prime example of where we we need there to be the change because even though you've changed that form yourself you changing it doesn't then mean that it will be changed Mm -hmm. it just means at that point you changed it so there isn't this central system whereby it's then altered um so with that in mind um I absolutely agree um And it is something and I'm hoping that now that we've got now that I've undertaken this research and and it is the first British research that we've got that I would like to work with NHS England and NHS improvement, seeing how we can make things more inclusive with regards to the forms, because we we can see now how um, how the NHS is trying to be more inclusive, for example, with the alteration of terminology that they're using for chest feeding and breastfeeding um, in Brighton. So I think there is scope for this to be done now. But mm. of course, in order to make a change happen, we almost have to have evidence that there is an issue. Um, so I'm hoping that through the work that I've done um, to, to begin conversations, to try to, to alter The paperwork so that everyone does feel included and no one has to cross out for example father or or mother and put their own um, term instead I I would like to think that we can move forward now um, to change that. When we talk about moving forward and how we can ensure that parents um, and, and as you say Richard staff alike are supported in this I think that they're One of the, um, there were quite a few recommendations for practice from my doctoral study. And one is this toolkit to help provide structured teaching around a gold standard approach for best practice. But of course, teaching alone, you know, doesn't change, doesn't change everything. Um, So I also would like to, I, I also wrote an inclusive consideration checklist um, for language that can be used and how to ask certain questions. So, as as Rob said, you know, who else is in your family? But questions like, who have you brought here with you today? So we're not making any kind of assumption. Um, and I think we also need to think about how we can address the heteronormativity that we see within healthcare settings. So perhaps this creation of, of a safe space, which isn't a, necessarily a physical space, um, but it it would be an area that incorporates reflective imagery, um, but also this positive allyship attitudes of staff for people from the LGBT community. So these staff, you know, they may be allies, um, they may be diversity or inclusivity champions who have achieved this gold standard of care and dissemination of their knowledge um, through the wider staff group. But they could also just be staff members who feel able to empower other members of the healthcare profession to develop relationships through um, sort of interpersonal skills and advocacy. And I, and I think often when we do face challenges in, in a work environment, often it, it does take someone who has strong, you know, sense of, of character and empowerment to say, no, actually, this is how we do it. But by by being able to lead people and show the way, I think we'll be able to To make environments far more inclusive, and you know, having these champions, where if we say, actually, this happened, I'm really not happy because, for example, I was excluded as a non biological parent. Someone will address that and take into the organisation. So within that organisation, it can be, it can be addressed and and supported through, through staff networks.
3: I think it's a very good idea to have a a champion. I mean, I'm fairly robust, so it wouldn't really particularly bother me. But I know some people may feel less comfortable about the entire thing. And if they saw a form that they knew wasn't right, if there was somebody, for example, in the doctor's surgery who you knew was the LGBT champion there, who you could just go along and say, look, that form's not right. Can you take that back and talk to somebody about it without making a huge fuss about the entire thing and knowing that they understand where you're coming from and think would be really useful for a lot of people?
2: Yeah.
1: And before I thank you both, Lucy, you've actually got a book coming out, I believe.
2: Yes, um, I do. So as um, part of the the study, I to enable the participants to tell their story, I created a fictional character family um, to protect the anonymity of the parents, but also to, to bring life to their stories. And I wanted to use the composite characters and develop them further. Um, and utilise their presence further. So I, I wrote a children's book and it's called Courtney Goes to the Hospital. And it's um, a restoring layer, um, which is one of posit- positivity and inclusion. And the ethnicities and genders depicted within the book are representative of the participants within this study. So and also the professionals that are shown within the book are purposely gendered to challenge gender stereotyping within professions so the book is based upon a same-sex parented adoptive family um, being part of the normative and what children and their parents should expect when accessing healthcare therefore it evidences good practice and as such it could be used in training healthcare professionals but the aim of the children's picture book is that it can be used as an educational tool to showcase diverse families to people of all ages and it can also be used by children who have same-sex parents that are attending healthcare settings to allow them to visualize themselves and to be represented and whilst the picture book doesn't state that the children are adopted parents and professionals could use the book as a tool and alter the identity to allow all children and families to be represented through it
1: and how can people get hold of that lucy um
2: they can uh, it's available through amazon and it's um, available from the publisher which is austin mccauley limited
1: Brilliant. There you go. You've got your free free plug. (laughs) I
2: do. That's
1: that's absolutely brilliant. Rob, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me this morning.
2: Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you, Rob. Thank
3: you.
0: And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback. So please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.